I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. The science If you changed. count the legal votes, I we easily agree. win. Go for a short it is time to get no, bricks This candle smells like my vagina. Supposed to I shouldn't be up here. What? I should be back in the school on the other side of the ocean. What the fuck is going on? Part of the ACAST Creator Network and also available on Patreon. Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast. This week, the entire world has caught up with us. And now everybody is asking the question that I ask every week. What the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? Ah! At least a couple of years ago when a complete madman was running off the world, all he was doing was sending out mental tweets and building a wall and telling everybody to drink bleach. Now we got this lunatic. Now if someone says, what should we do next Christmas? You think, ah, I'm not sure we need to waste time worrying about that. For a few days, there was a rare display of unity across Britain as everyone yelled in horror at Putin's atrocities. Well, thankfully, that didn't last long. And now we're back to normal. To start with, the government decided its attitude towards refugees would be they are victims of a terrible bully and deserve our endless admiration, which is why we can't have them here, the scavengers. One minister, Kevin Foster, said refugees from Ukraine should be allowed here as long as they're prepared to pick our fruit. Because when you've scrambled across a border with a baby after a Russian tank has demolished your house... The ideal way to spend a day is to pick raspberries to help take your mind off things. This week, a minister will say, Look at these idle Ukrainians. They have a siren, and when it goes off, that's a signal for them all to go underground and laze about in sleeping bags all day. Tory MP Edward Lee protested in Parliament that we shouldn't invite people fleeing from the war because, in Lincolnshire, we've already done our bit. And that's right. Across Ukraine, people are huddled in basements muttering, Thank God for Grimsby and Scunthorpe. If it wasn't for them, this situation would be even worse. He should explain further because it sounds as if he sent troops over there called the Edward Lee Regiment that bravely marches against Russian forces chanting, We'll make Putin's tanks a mess. We're the soldiers of Skegness. Now, Edward Lee is the nephew of a Russian noble and he's been an MP for many years. So as his life has already been one long, hard struggle, you can see how at last he wants just a little bit of me time. But at least we are doing our bit to help. They're not going to take over oligarchs' houses for refugees, as some people have suggested, but there was a standing ovation for the Ukrainian ambassador in the Houses of Parliament. I expect now, they tell us, we've all got to stand on the doorstep and clap every Thursday night for Ukraine. That'll show Putin. The government have assured us that they're doing everything they can to weaken Russia, including sanctions on banks and oligarchs, but they're giving them 30 days before they start. So now the oligarchs are all trying to hide their assets. You'll have police going round to Uzmanov's mansion going, Are you, uh, are you sure you haven't got a yacht here, sir? Yacht? Me? No. Hmm. Can I ask why there's an anchor dangling from your attic? But it's good to see the government taking this liberal approach. I suppose now on, they'll be the same with shoplifters. They'll say, excuse me, madam, I see that you've got a trolley load of stolen food there. I'm going to give you 30 days to eat it. Otherwise, you'll be in trouble. 
After Roman Abramovich announced he was selling Chelsea Football Club, I heard a spokesman for their fans on the radio angry at the way Abramovich has been treated since Putin invaded Ukraine. And I can see where he's coming from, because if there's one person who's suffered in this crisis, it's Roman Abramovich. Maybe we should set up a crowdfunding page or hold a special oligarch relief day in which members of the public perform fun events like a sponsored swim 20 times round his yacht. And now we've also started to get these blokes, always blokes, going, what we need, right, is <coughs> a no-fly zone. Now, I'm not a military expert, but if we shoot down a Russian plane, I wonder whether that will, A, calm things down, or B, make a lunatic with nuclear weapons even more cross. Well, there's no way of knowing, so I suppose we should give it a go and see what happens. And now we're told by the cabinet that when Boris Johnson met British soldiers at RAF Bryce Norton in Oxfordshire, the Prime Minister was on the front line. Now, this might not be a time to be picky, but is Oxfordshire the front line in this war? Well, Johnson should know, as he thinks he's an expert on military history. Maybe he'd also say the front line of the Franco-Prussian War was Croydon. And he'd add, ah, the uh, the American Civil War. Yes, I, 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 I was on the front line of that one as well. It was a, a workplace meeting in my garden. And now Liz Truss has managed to make a speech that has been blamed for the Russians issuing a nuclear alert. A nuclear war that wipes out the human race is one thing, but please let the reason that millions of years of civilization comes to an end not be Liz fucking Truss. That'd be like finding out the dinosaurs didn't die because of an asteroid, but one particularly stupid, arrogant Stegosaurus went, Look at me, everybody! (laughs) And tripped over a Brontosaurus and squashed it. And they all went, Nigel, stop! And then he landed on a nest of pterodactyls. And one of them flew into a Tyrannosaurus Rex and burst it. And within half an hour, everything on the planet was dead. This, ladies and gentlemen, is where we are at as a species. Now, we always like to be balanced on this podcast, and with all the talk of Ukrainian refugees this week, we're delighted to have this statement from senior Tory backbencher Lady Edwina Lee explaining the government's position. So I think we have to remember that unlike the rest of Europe, we have uniquely liberal Labour laws and we speak English, which is the best of all the languages, the, the winner, the, the winner of, of the languages, um, lots might say. So we are the country of choice for mass immigration. So I think it's important we continue our grand tradition of not being very welcoming to refugees or if we do have to have some Ukrainian immigrants, why don't we make room for them? by, surprise, deporting some of our dual nationality Brits. I think if we put through the Borders and Nationality Bill, and I know the House of Lords said no on this, but come on, I think if we put it through, we won't even have to warn them anymore. We just wait for them to go on holiday, and then we don't let them back. So we give them a surprise holiday, and surprise, they live there now. Because if you are a dual nationality Brit, are you really a Brit? It's sort of like the bisexual of the passport holder world, isn't it? Just just pick one. It's a bit wishy-washy, a bit greedy. And you, you, you haven't worked hard to pay for your British passport, like a Russian oligarch has, for example. 
I mean, they're getting a, a lot of bad press at the moment, but, you know, they did pay their, their way. So, therefore, I urge our Home Secretary, as well as listening to all these humanitarian voices, why not also listen to the inhumanitarian voices? And in this case, I mean me and my constituency. We've really done our bit. We've, we're under tremendous strain. You know, there's no, no room at the inn, I'm afraid. However, we do need more fruit pickers. So they can apply that way. Um, but but I, I, I would like to say, if they have been injured, especially in the arm area, I kindly suggest that a fruit picking career, a.k.a. a British residency, is not the career for them. Now, as anybody who's been listening to this, or indeed anybody who hasn't been listening to this in recent times or any other times will know, it is impossible to work out what the fuck is going on without expert advice. Well, we're very, very lucky. We've already got someone who comes on this podcast regularly who's an expert at teasing out opinions, talk show host Mike Concrete, but with us, someone who has interviewed millions of people and with extraordinary sensitivity. Danny Wallace, how are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, not so bad. Thanks for saying that. What a nice thing to say. It's very true. And you're interviewing people from uh, underground. You're underground at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I have many enemies, Mark. Um, so I'm always, uh, always, always darting from the shadows. I'm usually behind a tree. But no, I've got a little room downstairs, which is quite quiet, where I can do things like this and give expert opinion, because you've just said I'm an expert. Yes. And if you've got an underground room, is it fortified? I'm just thinking maybe it might come in handy in months to come. <laughs> well, let's, let's hope this is an entirely useless room and just a complete <laughs> extravagance. That, that's my great hope for this room. Uh, now, you yourself, like everybody in the world, really, but you yourself do a, a podcast, but unlike everyone in the world, your podcast is uh, extremely entertaining. And it's... Um, do you want to tell us about it, Monatomy? I've been listening to it lately. It's called, it's called Monatomy, and basically I was trying to come up with the, the worst idea possible for a podcast you absolutely would not want to be invited onto. <laughs> and I thought, well, <laughs> I was talking with my friend Phil, and we were like... Well, it's obviously one where you have to sit down and talk about your body in great detail to, to sort of strangers. Yeah. And we thought, well, that's such a horrible idea that we would absolutely not want to do, that we have to do it. And um, it's been remarkable. People have been so open and funny and frank and honest. Um, they sit down and immediately start talking about weird hang-ups or things they're not usually comfortable talking about, even with partners. Yeah, yeah. Um, for some reason, they'll sit down and share that. So it could be nipples or back hair or it could be much deeper, much darker things. But it's always done with a sense of humour. Yeah, and it sounds like, because you have the sort of guests on and also the way you present it, it does sound like it's done, it's done properly. <laughs> it could easily be very wanky in other hands. <laughs> you know, yeah. if it all, oh, would I rather feel that myself, my fingernails represent for me? And you could end up thinking, oh, fuck off. Yeah. I mean, you know, coming from the sort of town I come from, I mean, if any bloke where I was brought up at ever at any point gone, I've got some hang-ups I'd like to talk about, they would have had their head kicked in really hard. Yeah. 
But of course, that's the point, isn't it? Because people talk. I mean, if you could have Putin on there, that might solve it. Uh, yeah, I reckon with with just the right <laughs> amount of uh, empathy, not maybe not too much empathy, but certainly a sense of humour, we might get him talking. You suggest they have hang up. <laughs> I think you will need underground the bunker, my friend. I mean, Mark, you've just named our you know our number one target guest uh, is of course Putin. We want to do all the strong men, um, but you're right. No, we try not to make it wanky, and we also try not to make it you know bawdy. Because men, when they sit around, if they if if they do talk about their bodies, it tends to be they make fun of each other or they walk up and they poke each other's bellies or, you know, say something a bit rude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not about, hey, you should be getting fit or you should be eating this. It's just, tell us about your body. And then you sort of find out about the life of that person as well. So, you know, we've got amazing guests coming up. Um, Ro Yacobi, who is a writer and activist, he was captured in his Afghan village at 12 by the Taliban because he was the son of the local militia guy. So his dad was the big guy in the village, always with a Kalashnikov. And he was kidnapped and tortured and had this real sense of helplessness and vulnerability and he faced starvation and a six-year trek to end up in uh, in Britain. Um, but at the same time, we've got Tom Allen talking about his silly voice. Right, good. I was going to say the poor <laughs> lad who's kidnapped and father and the Kalashnikov, he didn't say, but worst of all, my eyebrows meet in the middle. <laughs> There was, none, there was none of that. In fact, he's kind of got movie star good looks, this guy. Um, so, you know, you'll uh, well, that'll come out soon. So it's uh, the light and the shade. Well, good thing is, like, that so blokes, it could be an enormous sort of therapy for them. When you see the, <laughs> the blokes who are the most angry, the most, what you fucking looking at, mm-hmm. those people, that probably would be an enormous help for them to sort of sit there and go, I'll be honest, what I'm really angry about, it's not that that bloke spilt me pint. It's more that I just think my knees are a fucking funny shape, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. If I could get over that, all this anger would all evaporate, you know what I'm saying? I'm happy to be a, a, a friendly therapist to the world's toxic men. Which leads us to the question of the day. Uh, mm. I've been asking sort of uh, everyone who's come on here the last three or four weeks should ask it just to, you know, because you never know the answer. Are you a fan of Putin? Oh, well, look, everyone goes through dark periods, don't they? You know, <laughs> um, I wouldn't say, no, I wouldn't say I was a fan. In fact, by the day, uh, I'm getting to like him less and less. I'll be honest, I'm going off him. <laughs> yeah, he's got some very unusual ideas and a great sense of entitlement, if you ask me. You know, yes. a terrible dinner party guest, really taking liberties. He's going, going through a similar period to the Arctic Monkeys after their third album. <laughs> yes, it's the similar thing. People who were fans are just on, mm. they're asking questions. Yeah. Um, it's hard to find much levity with this stuff. But one thing I will say, not that I've been enjoying because you can't enjoy any of it. But something I found quite cathartic, that's the word, is the Ukrainian use of the F word. Um, it's that that way of being so free with it and, and using it not only as catharsis, but as rebellion and as defiance. So you had those guys on the trawler and they were talking to a Russian warship and the Russian warship had run out of fuel and was saying, can I have some fuel? And they just went, Russian warship... Go fuck yourself. 
And yeah. that's not a normal thing to say to a Russian warship. Do you know what I mean? It's a very unusual <laughs> thing to say to any any major sort of appliance of war. And, you know, the guys on Snake Island saying, go fuck yourself, like, like you know, mm. and, and the, the people in Kiev literally changing the street signs to confuse the invaders who no longer have Google Maps or whatever and, and they don't know where they're going, changing all the names, um, one arrow saying fuck off, one saying fuck you, and one saying fuck you twice. I thought one of them said to the Hague, didn't it, Danny? I think, oh, did it? Or, or did I read that right, yes, one said this way to the Hague, you know, for which is really class, isn't it? It is. It's perfect. And it is just that moment of, you know, it's what can you do? What do you do in these moments of desperation but swear and make your point known in whatever tiny way you can? But it will help undermine and it will make a point... You know, I mean, we use it over here as a, a, a in despair. You've called your podcast "What the Fuck Is Going On," and I think that they use it much more freely. And I, I believe probably the six o'clock yeah. news in Sweden is probably called "What the Fuck Is Going On." <laughs> so you, you've nicked that title. I think you make a good point because I think that's why many people really think that I'm very much like Zelensky. <laughs> I am quite. I, I'm quite proud that he's a comic, Zelensky. I feel yeah. like that he's. Ooh, he's one of ours. It's a lovely thing. Yeah, he's going to get a fucking good ten minutes out of this isn't it <laughs> it's an edinburgh show surely <laughs> well it's a bit of an edinburgh show he's obviously got to do a little bit about the difference between cats and dogs as well to pad it out yeah he's got he's got the theme which is of course the invasion of ukraine but then there's the 20 minutes in the middle yeah <laughs> yeah so i did mention on social media i put that you know, Zelensky is a comic and he'll get a show out of it and then of course quite a lot of people went mark this is not the time for making silly jokes and I thought, oh, fuck, if he's a comic, he'll be making jokes. He will. I'm yeah. not trying to d- deny the seriousness of it, but of course he'll be making jokes. I mean, for example, this week, the Ukrainian government has said that if anybody captures a Russian tank, the tank will not be deemed liable for tax. <laughs> so it won't be counted as added onto your profit. Now that's a joke. That's a really brilliant yeah. joke, isn't it? It is. I like to think that Zelensky's come up with that as a comic. Well, I mean, listen. There's two ways to kind of make points, aren't there? Like strongly, and one is fear, which is very much the Putin way, and one is humour um, in amongst uh, the sort of the defiance of it. And that's why the the sort of the, the liberal use of the F word and these little moments where you can undermine the mass of weaponry coming your way. You can undermine it with jokes, and he understands that completely. And it's a great way of communicating, of keeping spirits up. It's funny because obviously he did play a version of the president of Ukraine, didn't he? In a, in that TV show yeah, yeah, that he yeah. did for like years, and then became president. And I I made a TV show years ago where I became the king of my own country. Oh right, yeah. yeah and yeah. now I'm suddenly worrying that this is going to become a trend, and that I'm going to be called up, not necessarily to lead the country, but you know, sort out the royal family. I have no idea what I'm going to do about Andrew. <laughs> Brilliant if everybody ended up being the characters that they they played, yeah. you know, like. It just becomes the law. Oh, Harry Enfield has actually been made into an angry teenager. He's furious. Yeah. There's nothing to do about it. It's the law. The cast of Alo Alo have to come back to, to form the resistance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, no, that would be brilliant. Now, talking of men who have got issues, Matt Hancock, mm. someone else who I think would be perfect for your he wouldn't be perfect for any podcast, I don't think. <laughs> did you see this video he did? Yeah. With magnificent timing, as everybody is watching the world sort of teeter on the edge of destruction. Yeah. I think now's the time to make a video explaining myself. And he said <laughs> that he broke the regulations because yeah. he was in love. Look, Mark, the guy fell deeply in love. 
you know. And this is mm. a modern day fairy tale. <laughs> For me, I'm just very pleased that COVID, which the government have said is over, I'm just pleased that it had a happy ending. Because for a while, <laughs> I thought we were going to look back on this pandemic with some degree of regret. But then I see now that all along COVID was the Matt Hancock story and he got the girl. And it's like Richard Curtis was called in at the end just to sort of sort out the ending of the pandemic. And it's great. And I, and I you know, I would uh, frown, but the whole thing, having seen the video again um, in the office... It's hard to frown because the whole thing's so damn sexy. The way Matt didn't know where to put his hands, the unflattering camera angle, I bet he cried afterwards. And this was very, very highly charged British eroticism. And it's very hard to be angry at that. You know, I would say midlife crisis, but that would be uh, cruel. The guy's only 43 and he does a lot of parkour. Have you seen those videos where he does the parkour? Because he's a cool guy. You know, and um, yes, yes. he's a he's a cool guy in his. I follow him for the outfits. Um, the <laughs> and he'll have his own perfumes probably soon. Will he? His own male moisturizers, that sort of thing. I'm not sure. Yeah, Hancock is a difficult name, isn't it, to to use in sort of branding <laughs> for, for for anything you're going to spray. It just it, it's there are different connotations there. I think a sort of certain middle aged thing though, isn't it? A sort of middle aged, you know, so a couple a couple that's um, oh, you smell nice, darling. <laughs> It's Hancock. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you do the voiceover, I get it. Um, on paper, I don't like it, but when you say it, it sounds good. You know, and he could involve a lot of his friends because that's what we forget, you know. It, it, he hasn't just brought love back into our lives, but he's also, he's done a lot for his mates. That's the kind of guy he is, you know. He's, he's yes. filled, them with, filled them with confidence as much as anything because they were like, you know, I'm a pub landlord. I don't know mm. anything about making high-grade medical equipment. And he was just like... Mate, believe, you know, you can do it. Yes. Here's a contract. You can do it. And he puts his money where his mouth is. And I think to have a friend like that is brilliant. I agree. It's very, very Hollywood. <laughs> and then maybe as the pub landlord sort of went away and looked in that, you actually see him looking in, in the mirror and going, I can. I can, I can make 40 <laughs> equipment for a contract yeah. worth £85 billion. Pounds. I can do it. And exactly. Then, what would the music be? I'm trying to think what the music... Would it be sort of something like if it was Richard Curtis and the music as he was yeah. sort of... Matt Hancock was going in to do the video... Silly yeah. love songs by McCartney or something like that, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think it has to be quite light because Matt's a light guy. He yeah. doesn't want to get too heavy. But it also has to be quite cool because, remember, he appeals to the kids. You see him standing in front of the kids and he does a very cool thing, which is he hooks, he hooks his thumbs into his jeans pockets and he stands there. And that's what the kids do, you know? You see the kids, they're always doing that. And his jeans are immaculately ironed. Yes. He's got his dad's belt on. The jacket's always a little too small, and the trainers look box fresh. And that, to the kids, screams cool. So you need quite a cool track as well. So it might be Wet, Wet, Wet featuring Dizzy Rascal. Oh, brilliant, yes. Or Ed Sheeran. Yeah. But Ed Sheeran, when he does a little bit of that sort of semi-rappy bit. Exactly. There has to be a bit where, in the video, Matt can do the rap. Yeah. Remember the John Barnes oh. rap? I mean, that was the... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's what we want from yeah. Matt Hancock, I think. Yes, absolutely. And it's good to be positive. It's good to find something positive when it's difficult. And this could be a thing that happens. You know, armed robbers in court. Yeah, well, carried out this series of heists. You want to? <laughs> 
Because I was in love. Nothing I could yeah. do about it. And Putin, <laughs> when he finally gets to The Hague, yeah. what could I do? I must uh, I shell houses bombard Ukraine for I am giddy in head. It's yeah. not good to think straight when in love. And I'm yeah. sorry, but uh, everywhere dead. Yeah. And he'll, he'll yeah. get off. He will. Well, you know, it's love. Uh, so... Danny, it's been lovely. To find, I do find, I do feel I'm much more enlightened as to what the fuck is going on than I was a few moments ago. Thank you so much, sir. And your very, very, very entertaining podcast, which I would absolutely urge people to listen to. I was listening to one with Stephen Fry uh, very recently. He's very good. He was, I would say he's always entertaining, but he was especially entertaining on, on this. Yeah, he was a, a fantastic guest. And of course, please keep tuning in and subscribing because soon we will bring you the body. Of Mark Steele. <laughs> well, I'd be very swanly about it. <laughs> Do what? You're asking me about a fucking body. What's the matter with you? You're looking at what are you looking at? I would revert to type. <laughs> Thank you very much, Danny. Thank you. What the fuck is going on? Now, there's been a lot of talk about sanctions and how far we should go. We were hoping to speak to Melinda Simmons, the British ambassador to Ukraine. But unfortunately, she's just gone down with cramp. So instead, to give us his views on the situation, here's deceased cricketer Fred Truman. Well, I mean, they talk about sanctions. <laughs> I do not call those sanctions. I mean, in my day, we had proper sanctions. There was Norway. I mean, we had a dispute over fish and we took away their coastline. <laughs> I mean, they woke up to find their fields had gone. It were all desert. But uh, I'll tell you what, they did not make rude remarks about our herring again. <laughs> and we had blockades. I mean, there were the siege of Brodsworth. Went on for 30 years. Not a morsel of food could get in or out. They couldn't even get to Doncaster. And I mean, that, that was over a disputed LBW. I mean, I uh, they're on about them. I remember when we were at war with Germany, we banned them from playing cricket. <laughs> and they didn't even play it to start with. <laughs> we didn't just freeze Hitler's assets. We took one of his testicles and put it in the Albert Hall. I mean, then they used it as the match ball in the Gloucester versus Story match. I mean, uh, you would not believe the number of drop catches that day, but that's the thing with Nazi testicles. I mean, they are uh, right slippery buggers. Oh, talk about uneven bounce, but hey, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, these days they wouldn't do that with one of Putin's testicles. They wouldn't even bother, I don't know. I give up. <laughs> oh, what the fuck is going on? Now, if you would like to become a supporter of the podcast, which I would strongly urge in the most virulent military terms, we are now on Patreon. So you follow the link on our Twitter page or search on Patreon and uh, then you will find us somehow beyond me, but you're cleverer than me. For just £4 a month, you will get an ad-free version of every episode, 10% off the live shows, the details of which will start to filter out over the next few days and we will be doing those later in the year. You'll also get the first opportunity to buy the tickets for them. You will get exclusive content, which is the, the phrase de nos jours. Uh, for example, this week there will be the full extended interview that I did with Owen Jones, and there's all sorts of other little interviews and things coming up very, very soon. And this week there will be a bonus George Galloway sketch, which is only available to Patreon subscribers, where he is talking about World Book Day. Let me put it to you. You should search for the What the Fuck is going on on Patreon 
and help support this podcast. Now, we've had lots of people writing in this week asking for our services. Alison Hesketh, one of our lovely Patreon subscribers, asked, what the fuck is going on with Sir Gavin? What info has he got that a knighthood will keep him quiet? I think there's a very important point here, which is that in the past, I'm not a big fan of being a knight of the British Empire or whatever it is, and I think it's fairly pointless given that the British Empire no longer exists and you might as well be a commander of Atlantis. But in the past, people have gone to all sorts of lengths to secure themselves knighthoods and so on, grovelling through the civil service, meeting the Queen, doing all sorts of stuff. But Gavin Williamson, who was sacked twice for incompetence by this government and who screwed up the entirety of a year's education by mucking up all the exams, magnificently has been given a knighthood. Now, I think this is going to change this country because now people who are desperate for a knighthood are just going to do the most stupid things. Well, the way to get a knighthood is to be the most stupid, incompetent twat that the country has ever known. But you've got to work hard. You can't just bloody spill tea all over nuclear documents or threaten to accidentally set off a nuclear war with Finland. You've got to surpass Sir Gavin. Uh, Suddenly, cabinet ministers will be just accidentally tipping all the gold into the North Sea or turning up to a cabinet meeting and doing a shit on the table. They're going to have to be so spectacularly useless. And then the Queen will go, I'm afraid you're still not as much as a knobhead as Gavin fucking Williamson. You might get an MBE, but that's it. Well, I think that's going to transform the country. Now, this is very, very important. From at Tatty Jacket, a man called Phil sends this in. This is marvellous. Last week, some people may remember, during my discussion with the person I bred for the purposes of doing this podcast, Elliot Steele, we were having a discussion about the Queen and he mentioned something scurrilous about the Queen becoming a suicide bomber in order to take out Putin. And I said, well, that shows that my generation of comics is very different from his because really we draw the line at talking about the Queen as a suicide bomber. And there we are. We think we're all sort of edgy, but in actual fact... We're no more radical than Val Dunican, who his generation, of course, has never even heard of. Val Dunican's claim to fame is that he did a song called Paddy McGinty's Goat. And I said, well, you wouldn't have got Paddy McGinty's Goat becoming a suicide bomber. Well, how wrong I was, podcastees, because at Tatty Jacket sends me the lyrics to Paddy McGinty's Goat. And... uh, When we started this podcast, I didn't think that I would be reading out the lyrics to Paddy McGinty's Goat, but here's the last few lines of it. Now, old Paddy's goat had a wondrous appetite, and one day for breakfast he ate some dynamite. A big box of matches he swallowed all serene, and out he went and swallowed up a quart of paraffin. He sat by the fireside, he didn't give a hang, swallowed a spark and exploded with a bang. So if you go to heaven, you can bet your dollar note that the angel with the whiskers on is Paddy McGinty's goat. Paddy McGinty was a suicide bomber. Val Dunican was trying to warn us that we were entering a period of suicide bombers. He was predicting ISIS and 9-11, and we just didn't take any notice. And now I feel very, very silly. At Spinal Bap tells us that uh, there is... Uh, this is a marvellous bit of news. A new Donnerty Bab fast food shop prepares to open in York. This was written about in the paper. I think that 
if only the news... When you've got these people, you know these people who go, it's the MSM, they're just telling us the wrong shit, man. You know, they're trying to scare us and, you know, these people. There's no such thing as COVID. I think this is the sort of thing that they mean. The BBC, ITV, Sky, CNN, all of them, they're all telling us about incidental, trivial stuff to pollute our minds like an invasion of a European nation. How many of them have told us what's really going on? Open up your mind, sheeple. There's a new Donnerky Bab fast food shop preparing to open in York. Eh? Think about it. Where the Archbishop lives. York, what, fought a war against Lancaster. And now they've slipped this in. There's going to be like chilies, gherkins, all sorts of shit there. And you're not even thinking about that because you're worried about fucking beauty. That's what the fuck's going on. That's why you've got to listen to this. What the fuck is going on? Now, these are clearly very worrying times and a lot of people are understandably feeling anxious about the situation in Ukraine, especially this woman who I overheard in a cafe. Honestly, it's been an absolute humanitarian disaster as we agree to let our nanny go back to Ukraine to see her family in exchange for bringing back some duty-free champagne as it's Colin's 50th birthday and he so deserves Dom Perignon as he's head of marketing for Pringles across the whole of the Reigate area. No sooner had she arrived in Kiev than her phone was turned off. We tried calling, texting, WhatsApping because we wanted to know where she put the napkin rings but we could not get hold of her. Calvados, my homeopath, said that maybe a telephone mast had been taken out by the advancing Russian army. But I said, if that were true, how are the BBC still broadcasting from there? And Tara from the spin class has been really anxious about the whole situation. So Collins had to go round there and reassure her because her husband's away in Belgium. We've been looking at nuclear fallout shelters on Zoopla, and there are some very attractive ones. And Colin said that if World War III does start, we could let it out as an Airbnb, because a lot of people would be wanting to avoid getting caught up in the nuclear holocaust, and we could do with the extra income. And then, lo and behold, I'm watching the news, and who's there crossing the Polish border along with a suitcase and a baby? But the nanny! What a time to go on holiday! <laughs> it's just me, me, me with some people. Excuse me. Are these bleenies Russian? I know we should be boycotting them. They, they are the best. What the fuck is going on? Now, as anybody knows who has even glanced at the subject, what the fuck is going on, you need a variety of age groups in order to be able to work this out. If everyone is over the age of 103, as it is with my audiences, then you get a skewed perspective. And so this is why I bred someone some years ago so that I would be able to suss out what the fuck is going on. And he's with me here now in digital form, Elliot Steele. Afternoon. Hello. Hello. Now, I am speaking to you from the dressing room in Sirencester, where I'll be doing a show. The dressing room is designed specially so that it sounds particularly echoey and not at all conducive to podcasts. Also, and I do love Sirencester, a beautiful place in the Cotswolds and everything, and I went down for something to eat, not in the best of moods, for a reason we'll come on to in a, in a minute, and I learned the catchphrase of Sirencester, which is, uh, no, kitchen shuts at half past two. I hate towns like that. Uh, towns like that do that can fuck off. You know when you go to another town and they look at you like, oh, you bloody London types coming up here wanting wanting to get food at a normal hour? It's like, yeah, 
Yeah, and then and then like, what's going to happen? A Greg's or a Pretamonje is going to move into your town, and your business is going to shut, and you're not going to know why. And it's because they they close at an actual time when you're meant to close. That's why. Fucking the the the, the work rate of people in this country is disgusting. I say that as someone not working at half four in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that's just another way of making the sort of same point I was making. If I'd gone in there 10 minutes earlier, they'd have probably gone, no, the kitchen's not open yet. Don't open it at 25 past two. And it shuts again 27 minutes past two. <laughs> anyway, the uh, reason I was... Uh, I was I'm, we're saying all this at a very, very sad moment that didn't brighten my mood at all. And I think this is quite fitting for us to talk about because... We are both at ages when, for different reasons, this man made an enormous difference to our lives, which is, I don't know, sports people, every week there's one dies, you know, obviously there's probably more than one. But Shane Warne, I think this has affected me more than um, any other sports person I can think of. I was very sad when Alex Higgins died, but that was sort of, he was in his 60s and he had been working very, very hard to die. (laughs) So I wasn't quite, you know, I was very sad, but... I don't know. This is awful, isn't it? Yeah, this is a Kobe Bryant for people that love cricket. Yes, that's very, very good. Yes. I mean, I sort of think that he is to cricket what Maradona was to football, really. He was a genius who transformed it. And I think anyone who didn't like cricket, who would go, what are you watching cricket for? If you then said, well, Shane Warne's bowling, do you want to watch Shane Warne? There was something so mesmerising about him that yeah. he won over everybody. Yeah. He is like Maradona also in a way that after he retired from the sport, he got massively into cocaine. Yes. That, so the comparison, yes. that's a very good comparison. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean it deliberately. Not only was he one of the best ever, he then really took retirement in its uh, in that way of, wow, I've missed out on a lot of life here. Yes. I'm really going to try my hardest to make up for it. Well, I don't think he missed out on that much of that while he was playing. <laughs> Did he not? No, I don't think so. I met him once. I once was going to the cricket at Edgebaston. Someone at Radio 5 found out uh, and called me and said, oh, do you want to come on a sort of programme afterwards? We're going to talk about the day's play. And I went, oh, I thought, oh, that's quite a, a lava. That means getting back to London about 10 at night and all that. And then I said, I don't think I'm going to be up for that. I said, oh, yeah, who else you got? Just out of politeness. And they went, well, we've got Shane Warne coming in. I think it was oh, a producer wow. who didn't really know. And I went, oh, like, it, almost like it was a, one of them bad jokes mm-hmm. in a sitcom. What time do you want me there? Yeah, yeah. And I got there and he was really funny and lo- and I was so nervous. I've never been so um, starstruck. And then, we, yeah, when we sat there and chatted, anyway, that's my, my Shane Ward story. But for people who don't know, like, so he was a leg spinner, so we don't we won't go into the intricacies of leg spin. But Shane Warne, at a time when this art had not quite died out, but was very, very rare, played cricket by spinning the ball at such a rate and with such trickery that even the best players in the world just couldn't work out where the ball was going. And he completely fucked with their heads so that you looked like... It was like Derren Brown's done a trick on you Mm. and made you forget your own name, is what it was like. Would you say? Yeah. I I don't really... I'm not really a cricket commentator, so I wouldn't... No, but you know that. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to play. Well, he was very good at it, but I don't, I don't really know what to say. Like, yeah, it's very sad he's dead, and now I've got to sit here and go, he was good at cricket. That's my input. Yeah, but you remember watching him. Yeah, I mean, what, what do you want me to say? I didn't know him. Well, no, I know, but... What, am I meant to come on, like, with an anecdote? 
Yes. All right. Come on with an anecdote. Wait, what up? Oh, so like the time I saw Shane, we were in Thailand and we just picked up these three lady boys and he went back to his hotel and the uh, next thing I know, I'm looking at the news and he's dead. There you go. That's my that's my anecdote. Make it that what you will. But I tell you what, I've never seen anyone do lady boys with such a leg spin way, even in his <laughs> even in his last moments there was trickery. Yeah, he confused them, did he? He confused them more than they confused us, let's say that. <laughs> oh well. I don't know what you want from me. I've got nothing to add. I, I, I think it's very sad. I think it's very sad. I think 52 is a very sad age to die. And it, it, and also, he was just one of the best ever cricketers. And I've now besmirched his name by making up this story. That probably isn't too far from the truth. On the contrary, I suspect that um, you'll be hearing from the people who are conducting the inquest, <laughs> given that you've got inside knowledge. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Elliot Steele, ladies and gentlemen. What the fuck is going on? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We are now available on Patreon, so if you would like to become a supporter and get ad-free versions, and this week also a bonus George Galloway statement on World Book Day, please sign up to that just £4 a month. If you've liked the podcast, then please rate it, and if you can be bothered, write a review. If you can't be bothered, definitely write a review. And if there's anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, please send me a message on Twitter, at WTFIsGoingOnPod, and we will look at every message that you send. If you are a Patreon subscriber, we will absolutely read it out in seven languages. What the Fuck is Going On was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Danny Wallace and Elliot Steele, who now has his own podcast called B-Tech Philosophers. Voices by Sarah Alexander and Rosie Holt. It was written by Mark Steele, James Serafinowicz and Pete Sinclair with additional material by Rosie Holt. Music by Willie Dowling. It was produced and edited by Scott and Matt at Podmonkey. What the fuck is going on is a co-production between Podmonkey and Consec Industries.